Hello and welcome to Feed and Flourish, the bite-sized podcast series from the Closters Forum with me, Hannah McInnes. In this series, I'll be talking to experts about biodiversity and about ways in which we can transform our food systems in order to positively preserve our planet. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations around some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. My name is Mark Pitti. I am a lawyer based in Brussels and I am in charge of uh, developing a, an agriculture program within Client Earth, which is an NGO active for protecting the environment on the basis of the legal instruments available. So how does the law protect the environment? How does the law intervene on the side of the planet. Tell us a bit about how that works. There are a, a number of interesting examples uh, that we, we can, we can, for example, look at the struggle that was led by Client Earth uh, against the coal fire um, power stations, the coal fire power station, and the idea uh, that by uh, implementing the existing regulation about the quality, the air quality, for example, um, we, we had a number of interesting legal arguments to um, challenge uh, permits uh, to open new coal-fired power plants, for example, in the EU. And since we started in, in, at the end of the year 2000 and until recently, we were able to almost uh, close any new uh, project in Europe uh, in the coal energy sector it is a bit the same idea that we used when we started to uh, to claim against uh, national governments, and in particular in the UK, we started a campaign to say that the uh, the public authorities were not implementing properly the legal protection provided by the European regulation uh, in order to improve the quality of the air, and in particular in the cities. And so based on a, a few first victories in the UK, we were able to repeat that sort of approach in various courts uh, in the EU and in particular in Germany. And at the end of the day, uh, a number of these uh, major cities in Europe have adopted new regulation, uh, for example, uh, prohibiting the use of a certain type of engines, uh, diesel cars, etc. And there is no a totally new trend in the public administration to exclude a number of polluting cars or polluting activities based on the pre-existing European regulation because uh, people and, and num- the public is currently discovering, I think, um, I would say currently means over the last few months, that we have major issues in terms of air pollution, water pollution, soil pollution, etc. But the European system, the legal framework is already providing a number of interesting protections for several years. So if we look, for example, uh, I'm dealing uh, with agricultural issues, but in the agriculture sector, since the 90s in the EU, we have specific protecting regulation for uh, the uh, water uh, in in the soil. And so the, the, the member states have the obligation to set up specific plan to carry about the, the quality of the water uh, in the soil that might be polluted by the uh, agricultural activities. But it's there for more than 30 years, but it has not been implemented properly. 
And I'm very interested to find out how it's funded, because obviously people who you are up against, governments, big companies and conglomerates, are people with a lot of ready cash. How is Client Earth able to afford to take big cases against these organizations? It's mainly founded by private donors. Uh, and and uh, when I say mainly, I think I'm not I'm not one of the financial experts of the organization, but I think it's more than 90% of the funds are coming from private sources. So we have either institution, uh, individuals, and also the, the general public is providing us some, some funding. So uh, there are several, several sources of fundings. That's really interesting, particularly you mentioning the UK and the intervention to stop air pollution here. What happens after Brexit and we have left the EU? Will that mean that you can no longer intervene in such situations and we'll be free to pollute our skies as we wish? No, not, not, not at all. I think, first of all, uh, there are a number of uh, legal principles that have been adopted by the UK authorities for the Brexit uh, enforcement. And one of them being that the level of the EU protection will remain uh, to a certain for a certain time at least and on the other side the UK parliament is currently working on the adoption of a number of regulation which should be uh, similar to uh, a number of EU uh, approaches and maybe might be even more um, more protective so i'm i'm not at all an, an expert in in UK uh, regulation, but we have a full team dedicated to the consequences of the Brexit in the UK, for example, uh, working on, on, on the different aspects on which we are active, like uh, not only agriculture, the program in, I'm in charge, but climate, uh, energy, etc. And the IV will be to advise the MEPs, uh, the MPs, sorry, as well as the, as the government on the best way to secure the highest protection for the UK citizens, even after the Brexit. I know that you yourself are working on agriculture and involved in the common agricultural policy. When it comes to agriculture, what do you perceive to be the main threats to biodiversity? So the, the, the main threats... Without once again, I'm, I'm I'm insisting on that fact. I'm a legal expert, so uh, we are relying on the expertise from agronomists, scientists, etc. But the, in the the the, the main threats that have been identified so far, and that everyone is sharing now, uh, so not only the activists or uh, people like our, our organizations, but everyone accept and admit that at the end of the day, the ant- intensity of the agriculture. Uh, production system that we have implemented for the last 50 years has actually led to the, the, a dramatic decline in biodiversity. And, and, and so, for example, one of the examples is the way we have just destroyed the, all, all uh, the various, the, the trees, etc., in our fields. And if you go, uh, it is, and this is less specific to the UK than to other main member states uh, in, in the EU. But if you, you come across France, you come across Germany, come across Italy and Spain, in, in, in a vast majority of the uh, agriculture fields, you won't find any tree, any hurdles, anything. Because that has been destroyed to make sure that with the huge uh, and very powerful machineries, you, you can produce more on the same space. And, 
And that was the idea at the very beginning of the uh, European Union. It was to say we need to cooperate to make sure every citizen in the EU will be feeded by our own agriculture. And so that was the main purpose, the food security. Um, and, and at the same time, we need to secure that our farmers are getting sufficient revenues to continue to produce food for the citizens. Nowadays, we are, um, um, with the intensifications of, of all these processes, we came to the conclusion that we can see that more than half of the fields are actually used not to feed the people, but to feed the animals that we are supposed to eat at the end of the day. And so there is a, it's, it's just, we are uh, reaching extremes into the system and, and, and the pressures that we have exercised on the biodiversity in particular and the ecosystem have actually led to the decline where now we, we, we are considering that, for example, the soil, which is the raw material for agricultural activity, the soil is, is getting so poor that uh, a number of scientists are, are, are fearing that over the next 50 years, we won't be able to extract uh, many more from the soil anymore. So we really need to take care of the soil by reducing the use of chemical chemicals, in particular the pesticides and chemical fertilizers. And we also need to, to make sure that the, over, the excessive, excessive use of antibiotics, for example, in the animal treatments, uh, is affecting not only the soil but also the water quality. At the end of the day, we also have, and there are many many reports on that. the The trends of our diets today: we are eating a lot of meat, much more than fifty years ago, and we are also exporting a lot of meat outside of the EU. And so we are uh, once again the excessive use and intensification of uh, livestock uh, practices in the EU have increased as well, the, for example, the emissions of ammonia, the emissions of nitrogen in the air, leading to high uh, emission rates, too high emission rates, and then once again, it's a threat on the quality of the air with that we breath, etc., etc. So there are, there are many sources of, of uh, concerns based on the intensive character of, of the agriculture and when you hear to the people that are still supporting the existing the existence sorry, of the existing system they claim that given the demography uh, that we can see at worldwide level we really need to further improve our productivity and they consider that this fight to secure food supply to the worldwide population should excuse any uh, uh, impact on the, on the biodiversity and the ecosystem. And this is, in view of a number of other uh, stakeholders, a major mistake, because now we know that working with the ecosystem will provide us food security and at the same time will bring us in a position to use the agriculture as part of the solution in our climate uh, struggle, uh, in, if I may. So we, we should think about new practices which are qualified as agroecology, a regenerative approach of, uh, of agriculture. And these practices can actually bring us at, 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 at a point where the agriculture will be part of the solution. We will be able to sequester much more CO2 in the soil if we, if we can take care of the soil, if we stop the pressure we exercise 
on the quality and the oneness of the of the soil. So at the end of the day, th- this totally new approach, which, which is recognized by scientists and by authorities everywhere, should lead the agriculture sector into the right direction. And what do you think? Do you think that the mindset in general is changing? I know that you say there are stakeholders who are sticking to old methods, old ways, which are damaging the environment. But is it the case that the increased use of companies such as yourself to fight on behalf of the environment is a good thing? Do you see that there's more will, more activism and more desire for change in general amongst the population? Yes, I I do personally think it's changing. And and I'm even one of the witnesses, I mean, I've been working as, as a private practitioner in Brussels for 25 years. I was a partner in, in, a, in a business law firm dealing with mergers, with uh, EU litigation, etc. And I changed two years ago. I decided to leave my firm to say, it's, I need to do something. I'm not on the right side of the battle here. I'm defending the big players, just trying to exploit any possible uh, gap into the system which is not the best way to prepare the world for tomorrow for our children. And I think personally that, for example, the, the, you, you may have heard about the European Green Deal, which has been announced by the, Euro- the new European Commission in December last year. It's a major change. I mean, these guys that have been highly sensitive to the pressures exercised by the industry lobbies for many, many, many years recently decided, and it's maybe... It's, it's, it's a, maybe a great Thunberg effect, but these people in charge, they have children. They are, have, some, some of them are even grandparents, so they have, uh, they have a full uh, interest in, in changing the system. And so we have seen also, it's not the only change I've seen. I mean, I, ho- I have also sorry, um, seen uh, recently more and more farmers, not only from the very nice and uh, small organic world, but also farmers with significant farming activities, uh, several hundreds of hectares in charge, they are willing to do something for uh, mitigating the climate changes. And they understand that they have to change their own, their own uh, behavior, I mean, their own professional behavior. It's like in, in, in a number of other industries. The, the people are considering, what can I do just to end then, what would be your main advice to people who are listening, who want to do their bit to save the environment? How can they change their ways, their daily lives to do that? Obviously, we're all living in very strange times at the moment in quarantine and in isolation, but both now and when we hopefully in the not too distant future go back to some normality, what is your main takeaway advice? My main message would be support the farmers that really take the risk to change the system. So it's going and making the effort to buy your food from local producers, to look at uh, any sort of, uh, for example, certification schemes that the farmers are thinking of in order for them to support the changes. But there is also a need from, for the, uh, from the private sectors, from, from the citizens, to help our farmers to go the right way. They cannot change everything on their own. They will need support. And that's my main message today. 
we know that a number of these farmers are willing to do something, but it's extremely risky as a business because as a difference with our own uh, professional activities, a farmer has between 40 and 50 times the opportunity to do something. I mean, it's uh, you count your activity by year. It's not like a lawyer. He's drafting a paper every two days. But the farmer, he will face the same season 50 times in his lifetime. So changing from one practice to a totally new one will require the support, not only from the public uh, authorities, but also from the citizens, the, the consumers. That's my main message on this. Thank you very, very much indeed for that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. 